Well, today we continue in our series looking at uh, the common ground on which we have travelled as churches of Christ. And up until now, we've been pretty uncontroversial, you know, we've, we've had some pretty broad acceptance of the location in which we navigate as a missional movement. But this week and next week, that may change a little bit, hopefully not too much, as there can be differences of opinions that emerge as we see some people lean in one direction on some of these topics and others lean in a slightly different direction as well. Or as we note that change happens over time in the views of the churches of Christ. Some churches are faster to adapt to some of these changes and nuances, while others are less so. But in all of this, and with the diversity of who we are in our Christian faith, it pays to remind ourselves of what is essential to the churches of Christ. That is, that we believe that salvation is faithfully expressed through a personal relationship with Jesus, God's Son, and the Christ. Through our repentance and acceptance of Jesus, we enter into an eternal relationship with our Creator. But historically, churches of Christ have stepped towards the edges of this in um, the, the area of baptism. You see, during the very early stages of our clustering together as Christians, we viewed baptism with such essentialness, if that can be a word, such uh, centrality, such importance, such, essential, such in such an essential way that it was inseparable between repentance and faith and baptism. We're all brought together as one. Campbell, one of the founders of the Churches of Christ, declared that you are really saved when you believe and you are formally saved when you are baptised. That baptism is the pardon certificate rather than the pardon procuring. He stressed that baptism is an act by which one formally enters into a relationship with God. Campbell always practiced believers' baptism. Others, viewing the beginnings of the Churches of Christ movement, cynically said that they practiced water salvation, salvation by works, gospel of water, baptism regeneration, and they, uh, and they were once called water dogs. I'm not sure where they got that from, but apparently that was a slang term for Churches of Christ. You see, Churches of Christ have in the past wanted to have, in a way, their cake and eat it too. We wanted to state emphatically that there was no creed but Christ. It is by faith that you have been saved, not by works. But we've also wanted to say that baptism is integral to salvation. The non-denominational Churches of Christ International maintains that, from their point of view, that it is at the point of full immersion, being completely under the water, that is when someone comes into contact with the saving blood of Jesus. For this group, if you are not baptised as a result of belief, um, then you are incomplete in your salvation that you are scripturally not saved. Verses like Mark 16, 16 are used to support this. Anyone who believes and is baptised will be saved. 
But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And also in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, we read this. And that water is a picture, speaking of Noah and the flood, that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God. And how do we consider this? At the other end of the spectrum, from those that say, well, well baptism is, is um, integral to, it's, it's central around salvation, then you've got someone like the Salvation Army movement with its founder, William Booth, who, in his desire to remove every obstacle possible, removed also baptism and communion from a common practice in their churches. And while salvation, the Salvation Army do not practice baptism, they're not actually opposed to it. I have actually baptised someone from the Salvation Army Church with the support of their captain or their, their pastor of that church. He came along and was witness and party to it as well. And just to add another perspective, you have some Pentecostal churches that believe that there is not only a baptism which symbolises repentance, but there's also the baptism of the Holy Spirit which is evidenced through the speaking of tongues. So where do churches of Christ kind of fit in this kind of moving um, area of, around baptism and also when it comes to membership? Are we open to other views on baptism? And what does it mean when we think about baptism and membership? And we're going to do all of that in about 15 minutes, so how does that sound? Pretty good? And we'll also try and open it up for a bit of Q&A as well. So if you've got any questions that I don't quite hit on, I might not be able to go into it in depth, but we might try and respond to some of that. Now, I'm not aware of any Christian group, denomination or movement that is actually against baptism, including the Salvation Army. All Christian traditions acknowledge that it, that it is started in the New Testament, but baptism didn't actually start in, with John the Baptist as John the Baptizer. Baptism and the, the symbolic nature of baptism started well beyond that, as we discovered from Leah's reading today, from 2, Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 5, with the dipping in the water as symbolic of cleansing. This was not exclusive to Judaism either. Other cultures practiced water purification rites. But John the Baptizer helped to reframe it, helped to, to place it in a new environment, a new structure, a new place in faith, to give it new meaning as a symbol of repentance for past sins. We read about this in Mark chapter 1, verses 4 to 11. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they have turned to God to receive fullness for their sin, forgiveness for their sins. All of Judea, including the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptised them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. His food was a Big Mac and fries. No, it was... <laughs> he ate locusts and wild honey. I was just making sure you were awake. Um, John announced... Someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptise with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptised him 
in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. In John chapter 4, we read that Jesus took on John's model of baptism and developed it further as John prophesied. Jesus also taught his disciples to baptize in John chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. Later, as Jesus wrapped up his earthly ministry, he commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Sterling, a former principal of what is now known as Sterling Theological College, wrote about 20 years ago, um, and we've got his uh, words on the screen there. For a large part of their history, churches of Christ associated baptism with salvation. They were adamant that the act of baptism did not save anyone by itself as there was no divine magic in the water. God alone saved by his grace through faith. But they were also, they were just as adamant that it was in baptism that a believer appropriated God's grace and salvation. The cake and eating it too. Sterling also recognised that there has come a gradual but a radical change in the churches of Christ. He goes on to write, but our thinking changed radically when as in the uh, Christian endeavour movement, we not only mixed but worshipped and studied and evangelised with many of the unimmersed and frequently sat at the feet of their powerful preachers and dedicated scholars. Now, for those of you who have been tracking with us, you might remember last week how we looked at the importance of not believing that the churches of Christ had a monopoly on revelation, but that we can and we should learn from other Christian traditions as well. And this is an example of that being lived out in our history as a church. Churches of Christ putting this into practice. The tight circle, the tight view that we had around baptism began to be a little bit more open, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more gracious. Three passages for me that stand out in not holding such a strong association between baptism and salvation are these. Luke chapter 23 verses 40 to 43. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man, referring to Jesus, hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. There was no requirement for him to hop off the cross, go get baptised, then get back up on the cross, and then he could go to paradise. Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 8 and 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, including baptism. So none of you, none of us can boast about it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, it's interesting to see the way Paul has, has dictated or written this. 1 Corinthians 1, 14 to 17, I thank God that I did not baptise any of you except uh, Crispus and Gaius. For now no one can say that they were baptised in my name. Oh yeah, I also baptised the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptising anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise. Okay. Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the good news. And not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul was anti-baptism. We see time and time again his references to baptism, the importance of baptism. But here he is, he's saying the centrality is that salvation is not based around baptism. It's based around a personal relationship with Jesus. In my application to be endorsed by the churches of Christ, they asked me about my views about baptism and I wrote this, baptism is a believer's response of obedience but not essential for salvation. Full immersion baptism is best reflected, uh, best reflects its symbolic meaning. Now obviously the, uh, the expressions of grace have gone quite far and wide because they just sent me a letter this week saying that they were going to endorse me as a pastor in the Churches of Christ. And in May, when they have uh, the, uh, the conference, the state conference, they'll also be, hopefully, if I just get a couple more things sent off to them, that they'll be ordaining me as a Churches of Christ pastor. For me, when I think about this whole thing of baptism and um, salvation, that sort of thing, I, I think of it almost like in three meals. If we had the analogy of three meals, you can't push it too far, but maybe this might help. Two courses plus dessert. One person has two courses, the other person has three courses, including dessert. Which one ate the meal? Could they both come away equally full? So could a person who has accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour come away equally saved as someone who accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour and was baptised? Can one person be more saved than another? So what does this mean then for baptism and when we think about baptism and membership in the church? For a long time, membership in the majority of local churches has required baptism as a prerequisite for marriages and funerals as we think about some uh, different denominations they will say well unless you're baptized into our denomination you can't be married in our church and I've got some relatives that have had to go through that process of being baptized into a particular denomination before they could be married in the church that they wanted to be married in. Northern is one of those that practices the the policy surrounding baptism and church membership and often this is position this position is based on 1 Corinthians 12 13 some of us are Jews some are Gentiles some are slaves and some are free but we all have been baptized in into one body by one spirit and we all share 
this same spirit. However, if we take this verse out of context, it seems to be suggesting that baptism is a prerequisite for becoming a member of the body of Christ, the universal church. However, if we centre ourselves around the common ground that people are accepted by Jesus regardless of their baptismal status, they're accepted into his body as a part of that, then what right do we have to place baptism or any other requirement on local church membership? If we hold that baptism is not essential for salvation and repentance and acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Saviour is, and then if we think about what is essential then for salvation, are we placing an extra requirement? You can be part of the body of Christ, but you can't be a part of us because you haven't been baptised. Challenges a little bit. So how do we reconcile that? Well, probably the best way to think of that is to separate out the difference between the universal requirements to the local church requirements. But this does potentially add an extra layer of requirement at a local church level that Jesus does not require at the universal level. The key to this is to understand the difference between the purposes of membership. Membership into the body of Christ comes through faith in Jesus. Membership of the local church is a part of that as well. But when we think about the governance and the decision-making processes, then the purposes, um, then to have a, an agreed value, uh, a purpose, a direction and levels of accountability, then baptism is and can be appropriate when it's applied in that nature. Rather than saying, well, you're not really one of us unless you're baptised, you are absolutely one of us. But when we think about the decision-making processes, then you need to be uh, committed to the direction that we're heading as a church. There needs to be a commitment about some other things in the life of the church as well. And that's important as we try and head together in the same direction. I suspect, I'm not going to be a prophet, but I suspect that open membership, which is where there's not a requirement about baptism, will become an increasing trend, an increasing practice amongst the churches of Christ in the future. So, I've been chatting a little bit to you about baptism and all that that means. I wonder whether that started to raise some questions for you, whether it's about can you, should you be re-baptised or other things about, you know... Um, when we think about baptism, uh, there's a passage in the Bible about baptism for the dead, uh, what age is appropriate for baptism. Rather than me trying to hit where you think, where I think you might be at, I'm happy to answer some questions that you might have and then we'll wrap up. So if you've got any questions about baptism and membership, I'm happy to have a, a brief chat to you about that and everyone else can listen in on that conversation as well. So if you've got a question, feel free to just pop up your hand and I'm happy to pass around the microphone to you. Matt's got a question. Oh, start off with a really tough one. Okay. So it, it sounds like you're saying um, that we shouldn't get baptised just because we think we should, because if we don't, then somehow we're not as close to God as we could be. What's, what, why should, what, what are some good reasons mm. to want to get baptised? Yeah, uh, great question. So one of the, the reasons why we, we should consider being baptised is one, that it's a command of Jesus. It's, it's something that Jesus called for us to do. It's a mark of obedience. There are a number of things 
that Jesus talks about that we should do. But there are two special things that we're going to be focusing on today and also next week. This today is about baptism, but next week is also about communion of the Lord's Supper or, uh, and around the Lord's table. And so both of those things are, some people call them like perpetual obligations or uh, sacraments or uh, that, that these are ordinances, that these are things that are important for us to do. Now, one of the great things about being baptised and when you consider being baptised is there is a statement, it's kind of like there is a, the story about nailing your colours to the mast. So, when the ship was going down, you're saying, hey, we're not giving in, doesn't matter what goes on, we're not going to have the flag that we fly under taken off us we're actually going to climb up the mast of the ship and nail our colours to the mast and say, I will go down for this. Being baptised is, is kind of like a way of saying, hey, listen, I am with Jesus through thick and thin. I am passionately committed to him and I want to demonstrate that commitment that I have died to my old way of life by going into the water and I'm coming up to a new way of living with newer priorities, with a new um, aspect and a new focus on life, and that is to live in a way that honours Jesus. And so baptism is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what that means. And so going into the water, dying to an old way of life, coming up out of the water, and I am yet to find anyone that has been baptised that says to me after that, ah, it was nothing. People that I baptise, um, not because of me doing it, but because of what it means for them, frequently are saying, wow, they're either in tears or it's just an emotional thing because this is a symbolic, this is a significant marker in their life to say, I am focused on, I'm following after Jesus. So does that kind of help? Yep. Other question? John up the back. I don't know whether I got you wrong or whether I suddenly had a... Uh a senior's lapse. Uh, my understanding uh, with baptism that before we are baptised, we acknowledge that we believe and accept Christ. Now I seem to get the uh, feeling that you're saying baptism first and then uh, a belief or salvation. I get it the other way around that we have that belief and salvation. And baptism is the final step in that acknowledgement. John, I love your brother. It was a senior's moment. Um, <laughs> definitely it's a case that, that salvation, a personal faith in Jesus comes first. Uh, baptism, without that, we, we don't practice adult baptism, as some people mistakenly assume. It's not about an adulthood. It is about a faithhood. It's about... A, a statement of faith or a response out of our faith. So we, we do what we call practice believer's baptism. So you come to faith in Jesus first and then out of our desire to demonstrate that faith in Jesus as a believer, we then baptise or we get baptised. So does that clarify things for you? Excellent, good. Whew. Dodged a bullet there. Okay. <laughs> yep, Helen. Can I just explain to you about a baptism that I had with the Pentecostal Church? You can. Okay. Um, my daughter was very sick with cancer at 30. She passed away at 35. Uh -huh. But in those years, we went to the Pentecostal Church in Templestowe. Yep. They helped us very much. And 
we just, although we were christened as children when we were babies, we decided we would get baptised together. The day came we were getting baptised and Julie ended up in hospital the night before and couldn't make it. However, I went ahead and after I came out of the water getting baptised, I thought of her when I went under. When I came out, some of the ladies and a couple of people in the church started to cry and I was told later when I came out, Julia's face and her long red hair was with me. Right. Okay. And uh, to this day I felt that she was with me Mm -hmm. and she got baptised at that time. But this was told me later, my youngest daughter was there with me that day as a witness and she said, Mum, when you came out, Julia's long red hair, but it was Julia's face. I don't know how you can explain that to me if you can, but they couldn't. Yep. So I thought, well, she was there with God yep. and God baptised her at that moment, same time, maybe. Um, there are all sorts of mysteries in the Bible, like how Jesus when he was crucified and he was laid in the grave, preached to those that were long dead. And so we don't know all the ins and outs of that. Um, I will defer to greater minds than mine. I'll ask Lynn, no. Uh, (laughs) uh, I I wasn't there, so I can't really explain what might have happened. Um, There's no evidence of that as a something that's happened in the Bible but that doesn't mean that God isn't gracious in uh, the way he responds to different people and circumstances, but I appreciate that that was a very significant moment for you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Other, yep, yep. Um, I've been baptised as a child and as an adult mm-hmm. in a, um, well, different churches, but as an adult, so... With your membership, do you have to be baptised in this church to be a membership of this church? But I've been baptised already as an adult. Yeah, good question. Um, So we recognise believers' baptism. And so that's probably some of the common ground for us as Churches of Christ. We recognise believers' baptism. We believe that, um, and I use the term we, um, trying to be very cautious about not stating on behalf of everyone else, but I'll probably pull back and say, I believe. I believe that as far as um, baptism goes, you are baptised and it's best best witnessed by a church family. Um, But whether it's this church family or another church family is not of great importance. Um, But it's more about that you've been baptised and that there is a celebration because it's a wonderful way of reflecting that you are baptised and you are acknowledging that you're joining a part of the body of Christ that um, through your salvation. And so by having others there, it's kind of like you can get married at, a, at the courthouse um, and, and you can get married with just a couple of witnesses, but there is something special about being married in a community, with a community setting. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so being... Ba- yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it is a pretty special thing. Any other questions that we have about baptism or church membership? Paul? It's not a question. Okay. A but correction? I, yeah, <laughs> I strongly believe in baptism. Yep. And I don't want to use the expression direct from the horse's mouth, but 
Jesus, I would stick to what Jesus said mm -hmm. before he went back to heaven. Yep. And Matthew 28, 18. Yep. Go ye therefore in all nations, baptizing them. Yep. Whatever you yep. said it. I stick to that. Yeah. My father was a, a, a lay minister. And uh, one of the uh, prerequisites when when uh, when one of the children would uh, one of the children's uh, prospective husband or wife would ask for the hands for the blessings, the first thing that he would tell or who would require the uh, the, the the ones asking for the hand of his children mm -hmm. is to be uh, baptized or. He would say, "If you don't, if you're not baptized in 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 my ch in my church, then you're not accepted yep. to my family." Yep. That's, uh, in my opinion, I, I just stick to that Matthew twenty-eight, yep. eighteen, yeah, direct from the horse's mouth. But that's yeah. not yeah. yeah, not that we're calling Jesus a horse at all, um, but the the whole aspect of that Jesus commanded, "Go and baptize." making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that it's the Trinity God that we get baptized into and identify with, uh, that that's important. And, yeah, there can be challenges, like Paul was saying, that you know sometimes parents can say, unless you're baptized into this group or this group, then you can't be married to my son or my daughter or those sorts of things. And they can be extra challenges that we face in family environments. It becomes less so nowadays, but it still can be quite present uh, for a number of people. Got time for one last question, if someone has it, or a comment? Good on you, Lynn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Preferred the great I wasn't going to, but you gave us another opportunity. Yep. Um, I was baptised when I was... And um, the reason I went out the front is because my girlfriend, Jen, sitting next to me, started to go out to the front to get mm -hmm. back to And so I thought, oh, I'll do that too. Yep. <laughs> now, as a kid, that's what you think with a, yeah. a kid's mind. And I'm telling that little story because I think that the significance and the beauty and the power of baptism changes with you as you go down the path Absolutely. of your Christian life. Yep. So it's not the actual act itself or even the symbol of baptism, but it's the truth behind it, yep. isn't it? That Absolutely. is what is really fantastic. Yeah. And it never leaves you. It's not just the, the symbol itself. No, that's right. And and for me, once again, it's like marriage where the more you know, the more you understand of God's love, the richer the understanding of... And so when we, when we witness someone else's baptism... It can be a wonderful reminder, not only of our own baptism, but also the journey of faith that we have been on since our baptism and how our love for Jesus has grown over the years as well as we hope and pray that it would. All right. So, just a very, very quick recap. There has been a shift for Churches of Christ in the views about baptism over the years that there once was a position that, that baptism was essential, essential aspect of salvation. Not that we put it in the same camp as salvation, but it was essential aspect of salvation. But over the years, there has been a softening, a broadening, an expansion of our graciousness and our understanding about baptism. Entry into the body of Christ through baptism is a little bit problematic if we take it in its literal terms through baptism. 
But once again, baptism is a wonderful acknowledgement that we are signifying that we not only are with Jesus, but we are also with this faith community. And it's a fantastic expression of that as well. Not quite initiation, but it is still a significant marker in people's lives. So how do we respond to what we've heard today? Well, there's a couple of questions that I'd encourage you to consider. How or have my views on baptism or membership changed over time? Perhaps ask God to help express grace to others who hold different views to you on baptism and membership. And how do I display my commitment to the body of Christ and to its expression through the local church? There's a couple of things to reflect on there. Uh, There may be other things. There may be a prayer for New Zealand uh, or other things that are going on for you that you might want to take some time to pause and reflect on. But let's use this time to reflect and respond to God in prayer through those response cards. They'll be collected during our final song with our offering as well. God bless you.